0: On Sunday night, well on Monday, my son was supposed to come home from college. He's a senior at Point Loma Nazarene. And he was supposed to come home Monday. But late Sunday night, I heard that there might be a quarantine in certain California cities. And so the later it got Sunday night, I thought, maybe I should tell him to leave now and I'll meet him in Yuma. And finally, I went to sleep thinking, will he be able to leave San Diego tomorrow morning? Will he be able to come into Arizona because there's quarantines happening in the Bay Area, Monterey? And so I tried to sleep that night by... 4 a.m. I couldn't sleep at all. And so finally I got up, got out of bed. Uh, like the rest of you, the first thing I did was I made some coffee. <laughs> and then I sat down and I started to pray. And it was dark. It was as dark as Egypt at at 4:30 in the morning. And all I could feel was this rush of anxiety and worry as I thought about my son might get stuck in San Diego maybe for months and months. How am I going to get him home? He needs to leave now. But I thought, I can't call him until there's daylight. He's, he can't, I don't want him driving in the dark. So I felt, and, and i just given a sermon on trusting God and having peace. And then it hit me, Palmer, read your Bible. And so I picked up my Bible at about 4.45 in the morning, and I read this. I opened it to one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I read that and I can't tell you how much peace I, I, I felt, but it was still only 4:45 in the morning. And so I, I wanted to tell my son to leave earlier than he He said he would leave when he woke up. Well, that could be 11 or 12 in the afternoon, you know, it could be that late. So I thought I'll try to get a hold of him as soon as the sun rises. So I sat there looking out my backyard window, waiting for the daylight to, to, to come At 5 a.m., still no daylight. 5.30, not a bit of daylight. Finally, right about 6 o'clock, I saw the first light. So I sent him a text. I think he was ghosting me. No answer, no answer. Half an hour later, now it's 6.30, I dial him. And he doesn't answer. It goes straight to voicemail. And by this time, Veronica's awake. And I said, he's screening my calls. And she said, no, Palmer, he's asleep. It's 6.30 in the morning. He's a college student. And so I waited. And finally, at 7.30, he texted me and he said, I'm loading up, Dad. I'm on my way. And I still didn't have peace until a few hours later I got another text. He said, I'm at Chipotle in Yuma. I was never so glad for my sons to be in Yuma and on this side of the Arizona border. But that led me to Psalm, not only to Psalm 23, but it's led me to this teaching series that I want to do on Wednesdays when we gather with this hour of worship. I want to make our way through Psalm 23. I'm going to call this series, Waiting for Daylight, because I think all of you felt that anxiety, have felt that, that, that lack of peace that I felt even about my own son uh, just two days ago. Over this series, Waiting for Daylight, I want to dig into Psalm 23 and wrestle with the questions that we all ask in hard times. Like, where is God when things get hard? Why does God allow things like pandemics? Why does he allow sickness? What is God teaching me? I think God is always teaching us in hard times. Psalm 23 gives us what theologians call a theodicy. A theodicy is a quest, a quest that you go on that examines the goodness of God in light of the affliction and the hard times and even sickness that we deal with. A theodicy wrestles with, with what many call the problem of pain. The problem of pain asks this it says, or it says, if God is all good, and if God is all powerful, and if God is sovereign and in control of it all, then why do the worst things happen to the best people? Why do we go through hard times? Why, do, why are there sicknesses and pandemics if God could fix them? So we're going to dig into that. My story starts, my own theodicy, my own quest, began a number of years ago when I took a leave of absence from the pastor. I'd been a college pastor for about a dozen years. And I moved my family to East Africa to teach at African Bible College in Malawi. And as I lived there that first semester and started teaching at the college, I saw poverty and affliction like I'd never seen it even in other parts of Africa or other places in the world. In Malawi, there were a million orphans of AIDS. There there was malaria that was running rampant in the country. There was was famine in the north every time dry season came. Uh, there There was poverty at a level, extreme poverty, that I had not seen before. There were grown men and women in the capital city where we lived that would walk through the streets barefoot. I hadn't seen that even in other African countries. And so after my first semester there, I decided to write curriculum for a course that I titled "A Theology of Suffering." And that semester that spring semester, as I started going through this, this material with uh, the, the African students, we started to wrestle with this question, this problem of pain: Why does God allow Bad things, heartaches, hard times to happen. And what is he going to do? We not only began to search scriptures and we started to examine the culprits, the people or the the entities that, that cause some of the pain and injustice in our world. But we started to examine what scripture said. And then we started to read books. And the first book I had them read was Brennan Manning's The Ragamuffin Gospel. And if you need a read for your home time, your time at home, maybe start with Brendan Manning's Ragamuffin Gospel. He he describes how Jesus spent a disproportionate amount of his time with the lonely, with the downcast, the downtrodden, uh, with the sick and the lame, and with those who were hurting. People couldn't understand why he spent so much time with them, with the broken, with the lost. After that... My whole class read Henry Nowen's The Wounded Healer, where Nowen writes about how Jesus himself went through life as the wounded one. And then the best part is it's by his wounds we are healed. And and maybe the kicker for all of us is to know this about Jesus Christ now is that he sits with us in our loneliness In our fear, in our suffering, in our hard times, and even in our sickness, he sits with us and he comforts us, and he's not somewhere else. He's very present. We also read Shusaku Endu's riveting novel, Silence. Silence is a novel that that Endu sets in Japan Uh, in the 1700s. He writes about a Portuguese priest by the name of Sebastian Rodriguez who travels to Japan. But at this time, the emperor of Japan hates the Christians. He's persecuting, torturing, even executing with a samurai sword. And this actually happened. This is based on history in the 1700s. That's when Sebastian Rodriguez arrives. He has to go into hiding immediately. And as he sees the suffering and the affliction of the, people, the Christians of Japan, he starts asking this question. He says, God, why are you silent? And maybe you feel that right now. Maybe you feel like, God, I I keep asking you to provide or I keep asking you to have this whole thing done with or I keep asking you to answer these prayers that I put in front of you. And you're not. Endu wrestles with that. And God is not silent. We'll be talking about that as we go through Psalm 23. And then finally, I'll mention, we read, of course, C.S. Lewis's classic, The Problem of Pain. And, And Lewis writes about how Oftentimes, when we go through something hard, we blame God. That's just human nature. But he says, think about this. Some of the most difficult, some of the harshest, hardest affliction that we go through in life is caused by other people. Even the people who we love the most can end up hurting us the deepest it could be a spouse it could be a parent it could be a a sibling it could be a coworker it could be your best friend but but as so going back to the class that i said i was teaching in malawi we started to talk about the things that cause the suffering in our world in the hard times And so on on one class period, I had the students come up to the chalkboard and one after another, I said, list the things, list the afflictions and the sufferings in East Africa. And they started to write down things like AIDS and certain populations at the time in Malawi, certain populations like high school students in urban areas were 50% positive. Someone listed the orphans of AIDS. There were a million of them. Some listed poverty. At the time, the minimum wage in Malawi was 30 kwachas. That's 50 cents a day. Some wrote down hunger. Some wrote down property grabbing. They had to explain that one to me. Then someone wrote corruption in the hospital. And so I asked, I said, oh, so you have copays and deductibles as well. And uh, they said, no, no, no. If you're affluent or powerful and you're important when you go to the hospital you'll see a doctor but if you come from a village and 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 you have no money and you have no power and influence then you'll end up under a tree on cardboard waiting hoping laying in the dirt that someone will come and see you i thought well it can't be that bad i hadn't been to the hospital there yet but it wasn't long after that when a friend of mine a young a young guy uh, a young Malawian man named Boyd was hit by a car and ends up in the hospital. And I'd heard that he broke his leg. In fact, I'd heard it 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 was a compound fracture. Two days after he had been taken to the hospital, his father knocks at my door. And I said, how's Boyd doing? He said, well, he said, I came to see if you could give me money for some pain medication. I said, well, why should he need pain medication? His leg was set two days ago. And his father said, they still haven't set his leg. And so I said, what? 48 hours and they haven't set his leg? So I got two of my students, or th- actually three of my students. We got in the car and we drove down to the hospital with his father. And we found Boyd. And Boyd, fortunately, had a bed. But sure enough, when I looked at his, his broken leg, the bone was still sticking through the skin and it was getting infected. So I started asking the nurses, where is the orthopedic surgeon that needs to set this? And and, and the woman said, well, you're lucky. There's only one orthopedic surgeon in the country and he's downstairs teaching a class. And so I went and found him in his class and he was kind enough to let me interrupt his class and explain to him that Boyd had been upstairs in his hospital for two days with a broken leg. And clearly... I didn't say this to him, but clearly did not have the money to bribe someone to have it set. And so I explained to this good doctor, I said, could you come set it? He said, you know what? Uh, This, where you are right now, it's my operating theater where I'm holding my class. Bring him in here. I said, you want me to bring him? He said, sure, bring him down. I said, sure. So I went upstairs with the students. We couldn't find a gurney anywhere on the floor or for two or three floors that we looked. So the nurse said, just carry the bed. So we literally picked up the bed carried him down to the surgeon who finally set his leg my point is my students were right but my intention when i taught this course was i thought i would this would just be needed in places like east africa but then i moved back to chandler arizona or moved here for the first first time to chandler and can i say this moving from east africa to Chandler in the East Valley, it felt like we were arriving in utopia. It seemed like there was no pain or suffering here. But then we started this church, and it was very quickly that I realized this. Suffering is the world's common language. Hard times happen everywhere, not just in faraway places. I think some of us, this is hitting home right now, But as a pastor in Chandler, as a pastor to people who live in Gilbert and Queen Creek and Tempe and the whole East Valley and Phoenix area, you know, affliction, hard time, it hits all of us. It comes in the form of a spouse who wounds us by the things that they've done, or it comes in the form of a rebellious child, or it comes in the form of a a son or a daughter who won't get well, or a father or a mother who passes away. We've all been there. Maybe it comes in the form of unemployment or the loss, the loss of a job, or it comes in a foreclosure or short sale. And if you've been there, I'm sorry. But sometimes it comes in the form of a pandemic and the anxiety and the fear that comes with that. And so that brings us, that brings me to Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, just so you know, a lot, of, a lot of theologians call this the nightingale of the Psalms because David uses this bright, vivid imagery to paint a picture of what God does during the dark nights of the soul, that he starts to make them bright. We feel like darkness is all around, but God shows us and David in this Psalm shows us what the hope of Jesus Christ looks like. And maybe that's the entire theme uh, uh, of this, of Psalm 23, is that is there's hope even in hard times. That's why I've titled this series, Waiting for Daylight. I want to begin today by just looking at the first two verses in Psalm 23, and, and I'll read them again. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. So I'll start with this line. The Lord is my shepherd. When I read this in the Passion Translation, which is a brand new stunning translation of Scripture, it reads like this. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. And you may hear that and go, why would they say the Lord is my best friend? Because of this. The Hebrew word for shepherd, uh, the, the root for the Hebrew word shepherd is from the word raha. Raha means my best friend. So David is saying, you know, and so when they talked about shepherds, they're saying the shepherd is the best friend of the sheep. And so David is saying, yes, the Lord is my shepherd, but he's also my best friend. Jesus says this in John chapter 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. You know, and and he expands on David's metaphor even more in Luke chapter 15. He says, not only is he the good shepherd, but he says, I'll leave the 99. I'll leave the 99 and go after you. When you're in trouble, when you're desperate, I will come to you. I will find you. And so that's why David says, I think, the Lord is my shepherd. It's a statement of belief. It's a statement of hope. It's a statement of trust. And I hope you can say those same words at home today. Will you say, the Lord is my shepherd and trust that he is there for you. Here's the next line. The next line reads, I shall not want. Uh, and, And the Passion Translation reads, I always have more than enough. What do you think about that? That's a great line. I always have more than enough. Maybe right now you are feeling like, I wonder if I will have enough. I think all of us have been asking ourselves that question. Do I have enough? Will I have enough? Uh, We're asking, will there be enough food? Will there be enough test kits? Will there be enough ventilators? Will there be enough work? Will I have enough income? Will I have enough to pay my mortgage? We've all been asking that question. Maybe for the first time in your entire life, you've asked the question, will there be enough food? That's a strange question for us to ask in the East Valley, isn't it? Because we've never been in a position where there wasn't enough food. But I want to remind you this morning that even in our own communities and in pockets of low-income neighborhoods in Chandler, in Tempe, in Queen Creek, in Mesa, there are families that wrestle with this question every day will there be enough food there's a, there's a word there's a, there's a name for it it's called food insecurity and so what you're feeling there's people who feel that every day can i just encourage you over the coming weeks if you when you have that thought will i have enough food would you pause and pray for those families in our own neighborhoods and communities who wrestle with that question every day not just when there's a pandemic if you talk to any teacher in our school district or any principal or administrator, they will tell you there are so many kids who show up every morning for school at breakfast and haven't had a meal. So we serve breakfast in the Chandler Unified School District to our kids in need. We serve lunch to them because they show up with empty lunch boxes. But I also want to remind you this, that God is teaching us through hard times, isn't he? I think that's maybe one of the, the, the gifts of pain or affliction or hard times, is that God teaches us. I think there's an aspect of our spirituality that only develops, only shapes when we go through suffering, when we endure a hard time. And then God shapes us in new ways. And maybe he is shaping your soul to be more compassionate and more generous with families and people who every day ask that question, will I have enough? And then I think God is showing us this. He's remi- or And in this psalm where David says, I lack nothing or I will have more than enough because the Lord is my shepherd. I think it's a great reminder that we have a God who provides. He always gives us enough. One, one of my favorite names for God is Jehovah Jireh. It means the God who provides. So right now, can I just say to everyone at home, have peace. We are in this with you. We will share. I will share. The grove will share. If you have a need, let us know. We will be there for you. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. And then I want to end by sharing this line from verse 2 where David writes, He leads me. He leads me uh, beside quiet waters. But I'll just stop with this phrase, he leads me. In times of suffering, one of the great reminders that David gives us is to trust that God will lead you. When he says this, I picture a child holding on to their parent's hand and not letting go. The trouble is sometimes when we hit hard times, we let our hands slip away from God and we let go. Philip Yancey, one of my favorite writers, writes about this in Disappointment with God. He writes about how he was a seminary student when he lost his job and then his wife became ill and she wouldn't get well. So finally, one night, he couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't pay his school bills. He couldn't buy groceries and his wife wasn't getting well. And so he said he started to pray and he said, he said, I demanded of God that God Heal my wife. And if he didn't heal her in the next two or three hours, I was going to give up on God. He said he stayed on the floor, on the hardwood floor, till about two in the morning. He said at that point, my wife was still sick. I still didn't have money to pay my bills. So I gave up on God. And Philip Yancey says he picked up an armload of his seminary theological books and he walked out to his backyard and he lit his barbecue grill and started to burn them. One at a time at two in the morning, the neighbors thought he was losing his mind. So they called the fire department and the fire department showed up and put out the flames and he went back home in the house and he said, he tried to give up on God. And he said, this went on for days. It went on for days. And he says, until God taught him this, maybe affliction is a gift. Maybe hard times are a gift in order to teach us to depend on God, he ends up writing a book titled The Gift of Pain after this. And he comes back to God. And he said, he realized this, that even though we let go of our Savior, our Savior has a grip on us. And so can I invite you to trust that today? When David says, he leads me, know that you have a God in heaven who is holding on to your hand. As much as you want to let go, he holds on. To his people, I, If there's a metaphor that I invite you to take home with you today, it's the hand of God, the manaste, the great hand of God that holds on to you. Maybe if you're a parent at home today and, and you have kids with you, can I invite you to take a piece of paper, find some paint, get everyone's hand in it and make some hand paint art and then talk about the hand of God, and how the hand of God never lets go, never lets go. And and one of my favorite lines in all the Bible is in John chapter 10, because there was a time in my life, I'd had two friends who were were killed. Uh, I was 12 years old, and they'd been killed by lightning, actually. And it was late one night, and there was a lightning storm, and I was sure that I was going to get hit by a bolt of lightning just like my friends had. And so I went and woke my parents up somewhere between midnight and 1 a.m. And, I, and I, I said to my dad, I said, well, first, I started to confess everything that I had done wrong. I said, I need to confess all of these things because I was sure I, I was, if I got killed by lightning that night, I was not going to heaven. I was going to that other place where you don't want to go. And so I said, Dad, would you, I, I need to confess these things. And after he heard me, he said, it's okay, Palmer. And then I said, would you pray with me to receive Christ? And he said, he said, well, Palmer, in the last couple of weeks, you've prayed that same prayer about four or five times. And then he, he, he said, let's read the Bible together before we pray. And he read me this from John 10. He says, uh, and these are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep uh, know my voice. He says, they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And then he says, and no one, will snatch them out of my hand. No one can, nothing can take you away from God. So know today that the great hand of God holds on to your life. The great hand of God is over your family, taking care of you, uh, blessing you. Know that the strong Father is there with you right now. May these words from Psalm 23 right now bring you the peace that I think all of us need. Know that The Lord is your shepherd and you will not want and he will lead you.